Well, praise the Lord. If you would, please open with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to continue on our series, A Disciple's Responsibility. So this is going to be part two message on a disciple's responsibility. I just want to share how we have to wake up in America. We have to look at the landscape of Christianity in the West. And we have to realize that what we see being called church, what we see being called Christianity, it really needs to be examined. And I don't believe there should be an issue with us examining Christianity. I don't think there should be an issue. I don't think your pastor or your elders or your leaders of a church that you may go to should have an issue with you examining what they're calling church and what they're calling Christianity. If they have an issue with that, then they're hiding something. If they have an issue with that, they're insecure. If they have an issue with that, they're not willing to allow God to purge what needs to be purged and prune what needs to be pruned and and to mature what needs to be matured. You know, everyone is quick to throw the saying, there's no perfect church. If you find one, don't go there because if you do, you'll ruin it. And I understand what they're trying to say, but what I would really like to press upon all of our hearts is, Where do they get that from? Did Jesus say that? Did the Apostle Paul say that? Did John, did James, did Jude, did Peter? Did any of these men come up with such a saying as there is no perfect church? When the man was caught committing adultery with his father's wife in the church in Corinth, Paul didn't use that as an excuse. He was probably more appalled with the leadership that they had done nothing about it than he was over the man's sin, even though the man's sin was so gross that Paul said not even the Gentiles commit these things. Paul tells that same church in his second letter to them that we have, the second letter that we have, he tells them to examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. So I would say that was a responsibility that Paul was placing upon these Corinthian believers is that they needed to examine themselves to see if they were in the faith. And then he gave them the evidence to know if they were in the faith. And that is Christ in you. Know you not that Christ is in you? That's the litmus test. And I believe that Christianity, the false church in the West, is so fearful of biblical Christianity because biblical Christianity comes with true marks and evidences that only God can place upon a man. Western false church, Western false Christianity, they come up with their own ways and their own methods that have no real markings. They're not marked by God. Say the sinner's prayer. Get water baptized. Join a ministry here in the church. Start serving. Start bringing your friends, family, co-workers, your neighbors. Start giving. And those are the signs that they look for. But is Christ in you? That is the faith. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if Christ be not in you, then you are a reprobate. 
And far too many people are being deceived. Far too many people in the United States of America and Great Britain and Canada are being deceived by man-made religion that they call Christianity, that they call church. And in this study that I want to do today about a disciple's responsibility, I hope is alarming. I hope it stirs you to, to study to show yourself approved, which is your responsibility. It's your responsibility. You are to study to show yourself approved. I hope it stirs you that you begin to examine yourself. Because when we die, it will be too late for us to do anything about our condition. It'll be too late. And we get a good picture of that in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7. And in verse, uh, let's see, verse 21, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then... Well, I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Before we got to verse 21, Jesus actually says in the same chapter, in verse 15, he says, he says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. He goes on and he says, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So I think those verses, verses 17 and 18, are very interesting in light of the cliche, there is no perfect church. And if you find one, don't go there because you'll ruin it. I don't understand exactly how we can take those words and merge them or parallel them, rather parallel them next to the words of Jesus and see if they stand up to the light of truth. If it's not a good church, if it's producing evil fruit, then it can't be of the Lord and it can't be good. Verse 19, Every tree that bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. So again, I said at the beginning that your pastor, your elders, the church you go to should not have an issue with you being a fruit inspector, especially if you are a husband, especially if you are a, a husband that has children, you're a husband and a father. 
you should be examining the fruit that is coming out of that group or that church that you're involved in. What kind of fruit is the uh, the the youth groups putting forth? 90% of youth groups in the United States of America. Now, I understand that's a blanket statement, but the vast majority of the youth groups in the United States of America is nothing more than a place for teenagers to hang out, eat, play games, and hit on each other. If you're a father, are you okay with that? Because that's not good fruit. That's evil fruit. Oh, no, but that's just what teenagers do. That's teenagers. Yeah, that's worldly teenagers. That's teenagers that don't have God in their hearts or in their minds. That's teenagers that are already lost and need to hear the gospel in such a manner that the Holy Spirit can convict them, can convince them, and can convert them. If you are getting more entertainment in your Sunday and Wednesday messages than you are getting solid word, then that's bad fruit, beloved. And because that's what these mega churches are driven to do, they're driven with entertainment because they know that's how they can fill their buildings. And all the churches that are smaller than that want to be like them and are following after their pattern are doing the same thing. But we don't see Jesus doing that and we don't see Jesus commanding us to do that. We don't see the apostles doing that and we don't see the apostles commanding us to do such nonsense. Hence, the reason for the false church. And I'll tell you that there's the only reason that the false church exists is because they are continuously entertaining false sheep. And there are no more priests and prophets or no more pastors and prophets filled with the spirit of the living God proclaiming the truth of God's word, burdened by God to give his people a message. They are now being shepherded. These false sheep are now being shepherded by false prophets. And I would dare to say that most of them are clowns more than they are false prophets. Which leads me to the next part of this study of a disciple's responsibility. I believe that there are many responsibilities that are laid before New Testament born-again believers, such as praying, fasting, seeking the Lord. I would say those are at the top. Beloved, if you're not praying and seeking the Lord and, and searching the scriptures to feed on, then you're probably failing this responsibility that is given to us by Jesus, by Peter, by Paul, by John, by Jude. Almost every single New Testament writer was burdened by the Holy Spirit to put this responsibility upon us. And so many people are failing. And because they're failing to do this one thing. And if you're a spouse, if you're a husband, you're failing your wife, you're failing your family. If you're not doing this one thing. So 
So go with me now to Matthew 24. The title of this message is The Disciple's Responsibility, Be Not Deceived, slash, Let No Man Deceive You. We have a divine responsibility laid upon our shoulders as born-again believers, as husbands, as fathers, as parents, to not be deceived. And before I continue, I would just like to pray. So if you would, please bow your hearts before the Lord and let us pray. Father, in the mighty name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you, Father. We come in his name, for only in his name can we come unto you, Father. For there is no other name, there is no other person, there is no other way in which man can come unto you, but through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. So we come to you, Father, through your Son, Jesus. And I pray, O God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon me, O God. Lord God, that you would you would give me the words to speak, Lord, that I would not speak my heart or my mind, but I would speak your heart and your mind, Lord. You would reveal your heart and your mind to us, your body of believers. That you would stir us up, Lord. And that those that would ever come across this message, and they're not taking their walk serious, they're playing games with you, Lord. They're playing games with their very soul and they're being deceived, I pray that they would be stirred, Lord. I pray that they would be stirred. Please, O oh Lord, stir us up, Lord. Stir us up, O oh God. Please, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, stir us up. Stir us up, Lord, and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Father, it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that I pray and I ask these things, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. These are the words of Jesus, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. Let's look at verse 3, because in verse 3, the disciples come to him after Jesus totally destroyed their, their love for their buildings and if they had any hope or whatever was going on there, Jesus just, he leveled them just as much as that temple would be leveled. And he told them that not one stone would be left upon another. And they come to him there. Now they're, he got their attention. They're stirred and they come to him and they ask Jesus three questions. When shall these things be? That is what he mentioned in verse two. 
the destruction of the temple. The second question, what shall be the sign of thy coming? The third question, and the end of the world. Those are the three questions. Those are the three questions that they asked the Lord and his response in all three gospels that record this teaching called the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. All three of them start off the same exact way. Take heed that no man deceive you. Jesus made this statement before he had went to the cross. And we see, and we will see as we go through this teaching, we'll see how quick deceivers entered in to the church. But we also see in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, Jesus' last words to the churches in Asia that falsehoods had already entered in. Jezebel had already entered in. False teachings, the doctrine of Balaam had entered in. How quick Satan moved. And I believe that's why the Lord was, his first response was to talk about deception. Verse 5, he goes on and says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Notice he says, they shall deceive many. And as we go through this study, pay attention to that word many, because it's the many that will be deceived. It's the many that will be deceived. And they're going to be deceived because they refuse to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and to take heed so that they would, that no man would deceive them. And one of the reasons why in our day here in the year 2021, so many people are deceived is because they have been taught, they have been conditioned that once you say the sinner's prayer, once you've been water baptized, once you've been quote-unquote saved, according to them, there's nothing else you have to do. Isn't God great? You're forgiven. And isn't it wonderful to know that if you died right now, you would go to heaven? And don't you ever fear because God loves you so much that he would never, ever let you fall away. Or he will never let you be led astray. I remember sitting one time in a class and a lady was conducting the, the teaching or the meeting, if you will. And um, actually, I'm just going to be kind of transparent, but it was actually a prophetic class. It was a group of people uh, headed up by a husband and wife who were teaching people how to prophesy. I was a young believer. I was so hungry for God and for the things of God. Um that I didn't, I wasn't afraid of, of the gifts of the Spirit, having received the Holy Spirit by myself when I was just praying and just worshiping God and seeking the Lord and um, having received the Spirit and experienced some of the gifts of the Spirit that I had read in the Bible. Therefore, I wasn't afraid of them. But I was very uh, concerned because 
at that time, I think I'd been a believer for a few years and I had already devoured the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis Revelation, at least two or three times I had already read through the whole Bible, uh, devoured the New Testament multiple times already, did a lot of the studies. I was hungry. And a lot of these people were ignorant of the scriptures. They were ignorant of the scriptures and, and all of them had been in, in the Christian faith longer than I had been. So I found that very, very strange. And I remember this lady because the group that, that they were, con- the, the larger group that this group was connected to, I think um, was already on the process of strain from the true biblical faith and the true gifts of the spirit. And she shared with us that family members and friends and other believers shared their concern with her and said, what if you can be deceived? And I will never forget these words. She told us that she told them, I believe God loves me too much to allow me to be deceived. And the first thought that came to me was, you're already deceived. I believe it's in Deuteronomy 13 where God clearly talks about a false prophet coming. And if he leads you astray from him, from the Lord, that you are not to follow, you're not to be afraid of that prophet, that the Lord thy God has allowed him to rise up to try your heart, to test your hearts. Not to tempt, but to test your hearts, to test your love and your devotion. And so many people end up deceived, not so much because false teachers, but because of what's in your own heart. Because you want to be great, because you want something, or because you want to um, you want to believe so badly that you can be forgiven of all of your sin and still continue in some sort of sin, some secret sins, that you're willing to stick around with false teachers because they're feeding something that already is in you that you have not allowed God to take out of you. That's the first problem, is us, you. You are your biggest problem. That's why you must be crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you and through you for his glory and his glory alone. So many people have been deceived. So many people have turned their back on God because of other men or other women. But the reality is that it's your own heart issue. You want to continue down a path that God has not approved. You're continuing down a path that God never told you to go down. So deception first starts with us. That's why Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. Men are going to come and try to deceive you. There's nothing we can do about Satan working and and, and using false prophets and false uh, uh, uh shepherds and false teachers and false apostles. Paul says that that some of them, that uh, he said something to the effect that Satan can array himself as an angel of light. So don't find it strange that his ministers, that is his false teachers and false prophets and false apostles are going to do the same thing. For what purpose? To deceive. But if you are following the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're abiding in Jesus and you're taking heed to the words of Jesus 
and you're seeking him through prayer and through fasting and through his word and he's he's speaking to you not to do certain things not to go certain places then you have great confidence that the Lord won't lead you down a path of deception. But to say that he loves you too much, that he won't allow you to be deceived. No, he's calling you not to be deceived. But he's placing the responsibility upon you. The responsibility of us not being deceived does not fall on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't fall on the Father. It doesn't fall on the Holy Spirit. God has given us that task not to be deceived, and he's given us the tools to not be deceived. That is, he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Holy Word. And he's given us, us living here in the year 2021, he's giving us so much church history that we can compare to Scripture and throw out what is bad and keep what is good, keep what is right, keep what is sound. And so many people are deceived because they want to be connected to an organization. Even though that organization, you can literally trace back some of their doctrinal beliefs to 200 years, 300, 500, 600 years ago. If your doctrinal beliefs only started 200, 300, 500, 600 years ago, even a thousand years ago, there's something wrong with that. Because we should be able to find them clearly taught in Scripture and through the first 300 years of church history before you see Roman Catholicism, Augustinism, and all the isms that came after that point. But the Scriptures are priority. And the the Scriptures are primary. So people want to be Baptists. Regardless if they have false teaching, people want to be Calvinist. Regardless of the fact that Calvin was a murderer and that Calvin regurgitated Augustine and that he never recanted for his murder, he never recanted of his false teaching when he was called out by multiple people. But you still want to be a Calvinist, even though the Bible tells you that it is carnal to call yourself after another man? It's a, it's a work of the flesh. It's a party spirit, according to Galatians chapter 5. It's a work of the flesh. And those that partake in it, according to the words of Paul the Apostle, who was inspired by God, says, won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. But you're going to be deceived because you want to be a part of a group? Oh, the day that people would just desire to be in Christ, in Christ alone. It is Jesus, beloved. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, that God the Father has sent to be the Savior of the world, to be the propitiation for your sins, and yea, for the sins of the world. Why would you want to be called after the name of another man? God forbid that anyone would call themselves after another man. That is the grossest deception in our day. Have over a thousand denominations in the West. Have over a thousand translations. Most of them came from carnal men. Most of them weren't even born again. 
but I want to be called a great scholar. I want to be known as a great theologian. So I'll cast off all kinds of truth, all kinds of facts of history, just so that I can gain a title and a reputation. Well, I hope you enjoy your title and your reputation because there's coming a day where you're going to wish that title and that reputation wasn't connected to your name when you stand before a holy God, having deceived his church, having played games with his word. This is serious. I believe we're living in the last hours of human history and this deception is getting worse. Here in America where I live, people are more concerned with the political arena, more concerned with the Republican Party falling apart and President Biden becoming our president. The world's becoming, the United States is becoming evil and wicked because of these far left liberals. I agree. I agree. But the only reason why they've been able to rise to power is because the church has stopped being the light of the world. The church has trusted in the arm of the flesh, that is the political parties, to do what God has told us to do. The moral climate of our country does not lay at the feet of politicians. The moral climate of our country lays at the feet of the church. And we are not to use the methods of the world, but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But how can the church use the gospel of Jesus Christ when they're preaching another gospel? How can the church be empowered by the Holy Spirit when they deny the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ sent on the day of Pentecost. They deny the Holy Spirit and they have another spirit. They have another Jesus and they have another gospel. And millions upon millions upon millions are too deceived to discern that reality. And therefore, God is turning the United States of America over to our enemies. God is going to cleanse his church. God is going to cleanse his church. And those that have eyes to see and those that have ears to hear are and will continue to rejoice. Because far too many false teachers and false prophets have been allowed to gain notoriety and become big wigs and deceive the masses and to make merchandise of the body of Jesus Christ. Remember verse 5. Many will be deceived. The first thing on Jesus' heart and his response to these three questions is to give us a command. Take heed that no man deceive you. And as you read through the entirety of this conversation that Christ has with his apostles in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
you won't find one single place where Jesus says the rapture will happen before any tribulation. He doesn't say he's going to rapture us before massive deception breaks out. No, he continually gives his church warnings all the way through right up to the end. But how many people are deceived in this false teaching that started in the 1800s called pre-tribulation? The phrase pre-tribulation is nowhere used in any part of the Bible. Not one part of the Bible will you find the phrase pre-tribulation. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 29, it says immediately after the tribulation and everything that is talked about or described there is exactly what Paul's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4. Oh no, but we'll just, we'll say that's not that. You know, we'll just lie. And because people don't have the spirit of God living in them, because people don't have Christ, the hope of glory living in them, speaking to them, teaching them, we'll deceive the masses. And we'll make millions upon millions upon millions with these false books left behind by Tim LaHaye, heresies, making merchandise of you with false teaching, with false teaching. It amazes me that the church in the West can put their hope and their trust in teachings that you can't find in the scripture. And then the Western church has the, the, the gall and the nerve to tell Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims that their belief isn't founded in any truth. But thou hypocrites, your belief in a pre-tribulation rapture is not founded in truth. Calvinist, your beliefs, your tulip has been wilted from day one. It's not founded in truth. It appears to me that many are refusing to heed the words of Jesus Christ and be not deceived. And there's a deception that many of you could be hearing this and that you're allowing that deception to work in your mind. And that is that, oh, well, what Jesus is talking about, it's not for the church, it's for the millennial. Well, you really can't use that because is there going to be false teachers in the millennial reign? Will there be false teachers in the millennial reign? And not only that, but Jesus ends this book, the book of Matthew. Matthew ends this book by recording the words of Jesus, where he clearly says in verse 19 through 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You do that every time you partake in a baptism. You see your pastor doing that, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. So Jesus is clearly telling him to teach and to teach people to observe everything that he taught them, that he commanded them. Everything that he commanded them, we're supposed to be teaching people to observe. Where are we going to get those teachings of Jesus Christ, his commands? Where are we going to get them if not from the Gospels? Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, that's for the church. Matthew 24, Matthew 25, that's for the church. 
If you want to believe it's not, you're already deceived. But I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, let God be true and every man a liar, including yourself, including yourself. You will have to cast off a lot of falsehoods. You will have to cast off a lot of false teachers. You will have to throw away a lot of books. You might lose a lot of so-called Christian friends. But you'll gain your soul. You'll gain your soul. Verse 10 through 13. Verse 10 through 13, Jesus says, And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. How many are going to be deceived? Many. Do you want to be a part of the many or do you want to be a part of the few? I want to be a part of the few. Verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. From verse 4 to verse 14, we don't see Jesus giving us any hope of being raptured out of this time frame that he's describing here from verse 4 to verse 14. Ten verses, not one verse, not one verse. From verse 4 to verse 10, 14. In those 10 verses, there is not one verse that gives us a slight of hope that Jesus will rapture us before we have to go through this horrible time where people's love will grow cold, where iniquity is going to abound, where false prophets are going to rise like never before and deceive many and will deceive many. And we're called to endure unto the end in order to be saved. I know that's messing with your understanding of salvation, but I, in a loving way, I hope it does because I hope it causes you to get back to you, get on your knees and get back to the word, get back to the word. And verse 23 through 25 then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, that if possible they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Why would Jesus warn his church about these times if his church isn't supposed to be here? Why would Jesus say in that, those passages, those 10 verses from verse 4 to 14, why would Jesus say that we would be hated by all nations for his name's sake? That's verse 9. I'm sorry, but Jews and Muslims and atheists aren't going to be hated by all nations for the name of Jesus. That would be the Christians that will be hated by all nations for his name's sake. I hope you can see two things. One, there is no hope of a pre-tribulation rapture. Two, that we have a divine responsibility 
if we want to be true and faithful disciples that will continue steadfast on to the end, and that is we must take heed that no man deceive us. Take heed that no man deceive us. I just want to make a little side note. I would encourage you to cast away every single word, every single phrase that you cannot find in Scripture, cast it away and use biblical language. Cast away the word rapture. The word rapture does not, it's it's a Latin word translated into English, and it's not even in our Bible. No English Bible has the word rapture in it. We have the word gathering together, caught up. Search the scriptures and see what the Bible says about the coming of the Lord and our gathering together unto him. The coming of the Lord and us being caught up to him. And every time you see Jesus and the apostles make mention of that gathering, you'll have a greater understanding of that gathering. And you will find, if you do your due diligence, that there is not one verse that teaches we will be gathered before any tribulation. And if you take the word tribulation and do a New Testament study, I think there's like 47, 49 passages that use the word tribulation, persecution, affliction. You will find that only two of those passages are making reference to unbelievers. And that is when God will pour out tribulation upon them and anguish upon them. But the other 45, 46 passages the church is called to persecution, tribulation, suffering. The church is appointed to tribulation, meaning we have an appointment with tribulation. For his namesake, we will be persecuted. And Jesus said it was a blessing to be persecuted. And he told us how to respond to our persecutors by blessing them, not hating them, not cussing at them, not suing them, but blessing them. And loving them. Can you love your enemy? Because God loved his enemies. That's us, human beings. Do you see what I mean by the true gospel, the true church, true Christianity is marked by God. We can do things that only God can do in us and through us. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it in the work of the flesh. We can't do it by programs. We can't do it but by God and God alone. And it's the clear evidence that we are born of him because we can love our enemies. Go with me now to 2 Thessalonians. This is another end time passage, 2 Thessalonians. Remember Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Those are all passages dealing with the end times. And here in 2 Thessalonians, after Paul's letter went out, the first letter that he went out to the first Thessalonians, the letter we call 1 Thessalonians, after that went out, um, people went around, started teaching that the coming of Christ had already happened. It, the, the resurrection had already occurred. So Paul had to write a second letter correcting that. That is some of the context or some of the background for the context of this letter. And starting in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. There's that word. 
that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, has that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The day of Christ's coming and us being gathered unto him. That it happens on the same day. Christ's coming and us being gathered to him happens on the same day. And he's telling us, let no man deceive us by any means. For that day shall not come. So what's going to happen first before Jesus comes and we're gathered to him? There shall be a falling away. And the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that has God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So it's clear. The church will be here. Christ will not come back until there's first a falling away and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And that falling away, that phrase falling away means apostasia. It's the apostasy. And again, when you parallel this with Matthew 24 and you see everything that Jesus describes, iniquity will abound, love of many will grow cold and many will be offended and they'll hate one another. And he's calling us to endurance, to endure unto the end, and the same shall be saved. Why? Because he don't want us to be part of the many who will be apostatizing. And that's before the Antichrist even shows up. There's going to be a huge falling away before the Antichrist shows up. Can you imagine when the Antichrist shows up? And begins, begins to do great signs and wonders and his false prophets calling fire down from heaven. How many more people will be deceived? My brothers and sisters, we need to wake up. This is serious business. Your soul, your soul is hanging in the balances. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy so again, listen, this message is to stir you up, to show you that you have a responsibility. You have a divine responsibility, a God-given responsibility to not be deceived. God will not do it for you. He is calling you to not be deceived. But he will give you the equipment. He will equip you with his spirit and with his word if you will yield and if you will do your diligence to search the scriptures and to pray and to be led by the Spirit of God. Because here in 2 Timothy 3.13, we are told, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What are these evil men that are going to be waxing worse and worse? What are they? They're evil men, they're seducers. And what do they do? They deceive. And what are they? They're deceived. These evil seducing men that are going to wax worse and worse are deceived, and their purpose, their job is to deceive. Who are they going to deceive? The many. The only question is, will you be part of the many or will you be part of the few? It's the only question. Go with me to Jude chapter 3. As you're making your way to Jude, just actually stop in 2 Peter. We'll just do a 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, 
who privily, that is privately, shall bring in damnable heresies and denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, there's the word many again, many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil, evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. I can't think of a better series of books that is filled with feigned words and the whole pretense for the series of that book is covetousness and to make merchandise of God's people because the world's not buying him. And that is the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jenkins. Perfect illustration right there. And I'll throw in a bunch of commentaries by a bunch of false teachers that through covetousness and through their feigned words are making merchandise of God's people and deceiving many. First John, go to first John chapter two, first John chapter two, verse 26. This is one verse that gives us the re John gives us the reason one of the reasons why he wrote this letter. He says in verse 26, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So John was writing this letter to the churches because men were seducing them. That is deceiving them. And he wasn't going to stand by and do nothing about it. But they were going to have to take his words in this precious letter and live by them to be able to discern. Verse chapter four, verse one, he says, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. How many false prophets? Many. What is our responsibility? To try the spirits. If you're not willing to try the spirits, well, then you're going to be deceived and it won't, it will not be God's fault. It'll be your fault because you're not taking heed to the words of Jesus Christ. Look at Jude, the book of Jude, starting in verse three. Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I made a comment earlier in this study and said that if your faith or your belief system only goes back 200, 300, 500, or 600 years, that's a serious problem. The reason why is because the faith was already once delivered onto the saints. Anyone who comes and adds to the faith or takes away from the faith are false prophets and false teachers who are creating a false Christianity or a false church like the Roman Catholic Church, the popes. The popes have added and created a brand new religion that is not a biblical religion. It's not a biblical faith. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Calvinism, and now this pre-tribulation cult is getting just as bad. The faith was already delivered to the saints. To say that there's new teaching that the church didn't have for the first 300 centuries or through the ages, that's a huge 
deceptive pill for one to dare swallow. Verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of men are they? Ungodly men. What do they do? Turn God's grace into lasciviousness. They turn the grace of God into a license to sin, or they take the grace of God and they try to bring God under hostage. They try to take God hostage by his grace and say that he has to accept us and receive us, even though we're blatantly, willfully sinning, his grace has to cover us and still save us. That is another gospel, and that is another God, and that is another Lord Jesus Christ that will not save them on the day of judgment, but will condemn them to an eternal lake of fire for being false teachers. What is a false teacher? I would say the easiest way to discern or to describe a false teacher, anyone who says or does anything opposite of Jesus's teachings or Jesus's commands. Anyone who says or does anything opposite of the teachings of Jesus and his inspired apostles is a false teacher. Anyone who explains away the truths that Jesus and his apostles gave to us to live our lives by or to feed other people those truths is a false teacher. When the scripture says we can fall from grace and someone says you can never fall from grace, that's a false teacher. When the scripture says repeatedly that you must continue in the faith and someone says you don't have to continue in the faith, you just had to believe that one time, that's a false teacher. The only question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Starting in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone who tells you you can live an unrighteous life and still inherit the kingdom of God is a false teacher. They're teaching the exact opposite of what the apostle Paul was inspired to pen. Anyone who teaches otherwise, anyone who teaches contrary, anyone who's leading you away from living a righteous life saying, oh, you already made righteous in the eyes of God. There's nothing you can do to be righteous. God's already made you righteous through the blood of Jesus. And therefore your actions don't taint that reality in God's eyes is a false teacher. Because notice what Paul goes on to do. Be not deceived. Again, the command, be not deceived. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So yes, there is some truth to the fact that by the blood of Jesus, we have been cleansed, whereby we, and his resurrection and his ascension, we have been justified. But God has not not just justified us he sent forth the holy spirit so that we can now live holy lives and if that wasn't true then why does he give a listing of actions of works that we that we can do in our bodies that would keep us from inheriting the kingdom of god beloved don't be deceived with half truths you need the full counsel of god's word and a false teacher can be solid on half truths But what makes them a false teacher is everything that they refuse to teach. They don't ever teach the other side. So Paul wants you, wants me to know, in fact, he wants us not to be deceived in thinking that the unrighteous can inherit the kingdom of God, that fornicators or idolaters or adulterers or effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind or thieves or covetous or drunkards or revilers or extortioners will be able to inherit the kingdom of God. He's telling us don't be deceived. He's clearly telling us not to be deceived. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 3 through 7. Same message. It's pretty much the same message. So if there was a brother or sister visiting the church in Ephesus from the church of Rome and they received this letter and they were sitting there listening to this letter read, they wouldn't find any contradiction. They wouldn't find any contradiction. They would have said, you know, we heard Paul in his letter to us Romans tell us not to be deceived, the fornicators, and they would give the list, wouldn't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And look at what it says here in Ephesians 5 verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness... Not some, but all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you has become saints. So much for don't look for a perfect church. He's clearly telling us that fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness not to be named once among named once among us since we become saints. Where is that standard? Where is that standard? Why are we explaining away the possibility of reaching any standard by saying it's not possible when the scriptures are giving us a totally different standard? And if you're immediately explaining away the possibility of attaining to a standard, maybe it's because you are not leaning upon the one and only or abiding within the one that can fulfill that standard within you. Maybe you're trusting in your own flesh. Verse 4, he goes on. So not only does he not want fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, not to once be named among them since they become saints, but he goes on, he says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. I can't tell you how many people I hear cussing that say they're Christians. That is beyond foolish talking. And he's saying, don't let it once be named among you as you become a saint. So the fact that you continue in those behaviors only proves that you're not a saint. 
And there's no such thing as a sinning saint or a saint sinner. Nobody in the New Testament ever referred to the church as sinners, saved by grace. Always refer to them as saints, holy ones. Verse 5, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, that is, empty words. For because of these things, so because of the things mentioned from verse 3 all the way down to verse 5, because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Is that standard being preached at the place that you gather? Are you being encouraged to, to, to abide in Jesus Christ so that you won't live in these sins and that you won't be found as a child of disobedience and the wrath of God will be poured out on you? Anyone who teaches that you can still commit these sins and Jesus or God won't judge you, the wrath of God won't fall upon you, is a deceiver and is leading you astray, but they're doing far more than just leading you astray. They're leading you to the place where you will be judged by the wrath of God. And my only question to you is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to take the divinely inspired words that tell us, let God be true and every man a liar, including yourself? Your flesh might not like to hear these truths that we're reading out of the scriptures. But let me tell you something. The true faith, the true Christian faith was never, ever, ever created or brought into existence for your flesh. The true Christian faith causes the flesh to cry out legalism legalism impossible but the true christian faith is nothing more and nothing less than home for the regenerated spirit of the saint first john chapter 3 first john chapter 3 verses 4 through 10 first john chapter 3 verses 4 through 10 Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. That's a biblical definition for sin. And you know that he, that is Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Stop right there and just ask the simple question. If we abide in Jesus, we don't sin. How is that possible? Because the verse 5 ends by saying, in him, that is in Jesus, is no sin. So to abide in Jesus is to abide in the sinless one. If you are abiding in the sinless one, what kind of fruit are you going to produce? Sinful fruit? Evil fruit? Good fruit? That's why we're able to know them by their fruit. Because to abide in Jesus is where we get the capacity whereby we will not produce evil fruit or sinful fruit. But to abide in our flesh and just name ourselves, just call ourselves a Christian while we're abiding in our flesh, is going to produce nothing more than the fleshly works, which is sin. Which is sin. And I will be the first to say that if I fail to abide in Jesus for one minute, I'm going to fail. Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. 
And until you acknowledge that, until you really truly believe that, and you cast yourself upon Jesus when your eyes open in the morning, if you're not casting yourself upon Jesus to abide in him, to seek him, then you're going to fail. You will walk in the flesh and you will produce the works and the fruits of the flesh, which is sin. But if you will abide in Jesus, beloved, you won't sin. You don't have to sin. And these false teachers that are saying that you sin in word, thought, and deed, and action all day long, every day, they're false teachers. Find one place in scripture where, the, the, where Jesus or the apostles or the prophets of old said that. Nowhere. Are we given any such comfort that we can sin in, in, in word, thought, deed, and action in all day, every day? You won't find that in, this, in the word of God. You'll find that in the words of heretics. But they're not inspired by God. Many are inspired, but not by God. Not by God. Verse 6 says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. Little children, let no man deceive you. How many times have we heard that today? Let no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. Be not deceived. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Anyone that tells you that you cannot live a righteous life here in this world is a liar. They're trying to deceive you. And the Holy Scriptures are trying to tell you not to be deceived. That as long as you're abiding in the sinless one, the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to sin and you can do righteousness. You can produce righteous fruit, not because of who you are, but because you're abiding in the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God counts you righteous even as he is righteous. Anyone that tells you anything other than that is a false teacher and is leading you down a slippery slope on the Broadway that's going to find its way right into the lake of fire, beloved. Verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. Why was the Son of God manifested? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Beloved, if Jesus Christ comes into your life, according to verse 4, he takes away your sin. If Jesus Christ comes into your life, according to verse 8, he destroys the works of the devil. And then what does he do? Does he leave a huge vacuum there? God forbid. Verse 9, whosoever is born of God does not, does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Why don't we let the scriptures be our standard? Why don't we just trust God that he can do a miracle in our lives and keep us whole, make us holy, keep us holy, keep us blameless unto the coming of the Lord? Why don't we let God be true for once, beloved, and count all men that say contrary liars and depart from them and cling to God and trust in God? And know that if God, while we were yet sinners, God sent his only begotten son to, to save us. To know that he showed mercy and grace and goodness before. And if we're clinging to him and we're abiding in him and we're loving him and we're growing in him. And if we happen, or as John says in, in chapter 2, if any man sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But notice how he said, if, 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 if any man sin, not when, 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 but if any man sin, if any man sin, we have an an advocate 
with God the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Quit trusting in deceptive words and trust in the words of God. Trust that through Jesus Christ and abiding in Jesus Christ, you can be righteous even as he is righteous, beloved. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, not for some future faraway salvation. Trust in Jesus now, today, for this is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, beloved. And true salvation is to be saved from sin. For his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. He is my Savior. Is he your Savior? Is he your Savior? If he hasn't saved you from your sin, then he's not your Savior. You don't even have the right to calm your Savior. He would love to be your Savior. He wants to be your Savior. But if you're still living in your sin, if you're still living in your sin, you're still drinking and getting drunk, you're still doing drugs, you're still looking at filthy porn, you're still talking like a vile, God-hating sinner, you're still coveting, you're still being abusive to your spouse, your children. You haven't experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But Jesus wants to save you and he's mighty to save and he can save you to the uttermost. If you would repent, if you would turn from your sins this day, turn from them. Turn from them. Right now your back is turned towards God and turned towards yourself, towards, turned towards your flesh, turned towards this world, turned towards your sin. But turn from this world, turn from your iniquities, turn from your sins that have separated you from your God and turn to your God and you shall be saved from sin. The Lord Jesus will take away your sin. The Lord Jesus will destroy the works of the devil. The Lord Jesus will place his seed, the Holy Spirit of the living God in you to keep you that you may be righteous even as he is righteous. Beloved, I hope that you take this message serious. I hope that you realize that you have a divine, you have a divine responsibility from God to you, and that is take heed that no man deceive you.